group experience is a new and refreshing way for you, your friends, or your family to travel. Check the show notes to learn more. What's going on? I'm your host, Stevie G, and you are listening to DBE, the podcast designed for students of travel. You can catch the show anywhere you listen to podcasts, or you can tune in by visiting groupexperience.com, the new home of the Destinations Beyond Expectations podcast. Do me a favor, and if you're listening on Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Apple Podcasts, make sure to subscribe to the show. That really helps the podcast reach more students of travel. If you haven't checked out Destinations Beyond Expectations on Facebook yet, go ahead and like the show there. It's a great way to stay up to date, and DBE is on Instagram too. You can find some fun travel blogs along with a button to join the DBE Patreon community by visiting dbetravel.com, the official website of the podcast. For this week's episode, we're diving into Kansas City. KC is a great destination to explore, and it's loaded with unique historical sites. My guest this week is Vanessa Holloway from Travel the World History. Not too long ago, Vanessa decided to explore her hometown of Kansas City, and she wrote a great blog about some of the amazing historical sites she got to see. I'm including her blog in the show notes, so make sure to check it out. We're going to use it as a roadmap for our discussion. All right, let's get to it. Here's my interview with Vanessa to talk about historical sites you should explore next time you visit Kansas City. Uh, Vanessa, thank you so much for joining Destinations Beyond Expectations. Uh, How are you? I'm great. Thanks for asking. How are you? I'm doing wonderful, and I'm glad you're here because, you know, you're somebody who's involved with travel, and I guess I wanted to start out by asking, um, how did you get to be involved in the world of travel? Well, I've always loved travel. Ever since I was a kid, we went on family vacations. Um, As a teacher, I feel like travel is the best way to learn. It's the best classroom. Um, I've just always loved travel. I've always been passionate about it. In 2019, in October, um, I got diagnosed with cancer. And so everything kind of just shut down for me. And I was stuck at home, wasn't working. So I was bored to tears. And I thought, you know what? I've always talked about starting a travel blog. So I'm just going to do it. So I did. And I got through all of my treatments. And everything is great now. And I finished those up just in time for COVID to start. So I was bored even longer. So that's kind of how I got started was I was just looking for some way to satisfy my travel itch when I couldn't go anywhere. And it's kind of just taken off from there. Well, your blog is fantastic. And and there's actually a specific blog post that I really enjoyed going over. And that was your kind of getting out into Kansas City where you're based and kind of exploring that on your own during COVID. Can you talk to me about, you know, why did you make the decision to go out and, and kind of explore your own backyard? How did that all come about? Well, just basically being stuck in Kansas City and not really able to go anywhere. There's some of the places I had been before and I absolutely loved. And then some of the places I've lived here literally all of my life and I had never gone to see those different museums and things like that. So I thought, well, what the heck? Might as well take advantage of it and do it now. Yeah, and it's a great blog. And so, listeners, check your show notes. Um, we're actually going to pull up the blog. It's called His, uh, Seven Historical Sites to See in Kansas City, if you want to pull that up as we go through it. Um, and let's just, I guess, start with, with number one, which you mentioned was uh, your must-see of the seven, if you could only do one. 
and that was a National World War One Museum and Memorial. Uh, give me an overview on that. So the World War One Museum, it's the actual National World War One Museum. It's the one, like most of our national museums are in D.C. This one is the National World War One Museum and Memorial. Um, it opens, gosh, quite a while ago and kind of got run down and neglected. And then um, Kansas City passed a new tax, and so they revitalized it. It's just a fantastic um, exhibit of World War One. Like you walk in and immediately you see this huge field of poppies. There's one poppy for every thousand people who perished in the war. So there's 9,000 poppies underneath this glass bridge that you walk over. So that immediately gets your attention. And then the whole museum, you just go through the war chronologically. And it's, it's just, it's fantastic. There's a lot of symbolism on the building itself and outside the building. Um, we have the Liberty Tower that you can go up on a nice day that's not too windy. Um, you can literally see miles, 360 degrees all the way around the city. It's just, it's a cool place. Sounds awesome. And, and I wanted to ask, you know, because you... You listed it number one on your list of seven things, seven historical sites, and you said it's by far your favorite. So I guess what kind of set it apart or, or what made it so impactful for you that you just you absolutely uh, were just blown away by this museum? Sure. Um, I love history. That's like my passion. I teach history in ELA, but history is what I enjoy the most. So um just the detailed history of the war and the quality of the exhibits there. Like you can walk in and one area is uh, set up to look like the way the trenches looked. And you look through little windows into the trenches and you can hear shelling and gunfire and listen to first person accounts being read over speakers. Um, there's another exhibit where they project a film over what kind of looks like a no man's land type setting there's all kinds of artillery, um, there's planes, there's exhibits about the Red Baron, all kinds of military uniforms that breaks down the causes of the war and how everything kind of the domino effect that led up to it. Um, there's a bunker that you can go in. There's an area where it looks like it's been bombed out. So you can kind of walk in this area and see what it looks like where an area has been bombed and the big crater that's left and the debris and things like that. Wow, there's so much to explore. So I want to ask, you know, if I'm planning my own uh, Kansas City itinerary, how much time do you think would you kind of recommend for somebody to, to visit the National World War One Museum and Memorial? Like how much time would you set aside or recommend setting aside? Well, if you like to read everything, I would set aside the better part of an afternoon. Um, if you just like to go in and kind of look around, you could probably do it in an hour or two. Um, if you want to really read and learn, I would say either plan on spending your entire morning there or your entire afternoon. Perfect. Well, let's move on to the next thing on the agenda, number two, and that's the Arabia Steamboat Museum. Um, now, I think what I read, right, was the, the Arabia was a steamboat that sank. Can you maybe give me a little more uh, background and history there with that? Sure, yeah. So the Steamboat Arabia um, sank back in 1856. It hit a snag in the Missouri River and it sank. It went down with all of its cargo, 200 tons of cargo, 
Um, and it was missing for a long time because the rivers changed course and um, they just kind of lost track of where the wreckage was. But um, a private private group of people actually discovered it in 1988 and started digging it out. And they're the ones who put together the museum. So it's privately owned, but it's the largest pre-World War, sorry, pre-Civil War collection of artifacts that we have. And there's literally thousands and thousands of things to look at in there. It's just packed full of any everything from beads to pottery to china to boots and guns and pots and pans and perfume i mean there's just so much stuff canned goods one of the guys um actually opened some of the canned goods and ate some of it oh, <laughs> in man. 1998 when he or 88 sorry when he found it so yeah you know you, you mentioned right there in your blog that the 1865.com claims like you said that they have the largest single collection of pre-civil war artifacts in the world um man that must make you feel like you're almost in a different time as you're walking through the museum if there's really that much yeah they have it set up and literally thousands of things are on display so it's it's really cool to to look and see and you really get a feel for how the people lived back then and what kinds of tools they used and you can really if you put yourself into that you can imagine you know what life would be like in the 1860s so fantastic well let's move on to the, the third thing on your list and that's the negro league baseball museum um talk to me a little bit about that can you give me an overview and, and kind of your experience there sure so anybody that's a baseball fan i would highly recommend the negro league museum they have a lot of exhibits that focus more on the black community and the fact that the negro league came about as a result of um, reconstruction efforts that failed. And so some of the black players that were playing in the white leagues were no longer able to do that. And they started to form this Negro League Baseball League. Um, they started off as barnstorming teams. And then as industrialization started to take place more so in the North and people started to migrate from the South to the North, then those teams expanded to different areas of the country. So a lot of baseball fans and sports fans in general will know the name Jackie Robinson. Um, is he mentioned a lot? Is he kind of brought up a lot in the museum? Do they do a good job of kind of giving information around Jackie Robinson? They do. He has his own exhibit um, in the museum. They have a couple of his uniforms. They tell his story. They talk about, you know, how he was really the one who broke the color line in baseball. And um, it's interesting that when he contracted into the major leagues um they didn't buy out his contract from the negro leagues they just kind of were like too bad so sad mm. um so that was interesting to me but yeah he has an exhibit there um satchel page has a place there's a whole locker room area they have it set up to look like a locker room and they have a lot of the old uniforms and equipment from some of the more famous people very cool. Now, is this a place that, whether you're a sports fan or maybe not even so big into sports, is that something that maybe everyone can uh, get something out of if they visit? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think even if you're not a sports fan, it still is valuable because 
especially the climate that we're in right now today in our country, you know, we've got so much racial tension and issues going on with that right now. It's good for everyone to go in and kind of just see what that whole experience was like in the early 1900s. And there's history in there that can be learned outside of baseball. Right. Right. Cool. Well, let's go on to number four, the Battle of Westport Auto Tour. Uh, I guess my first question is, what was the Battle of Westport? And then I guess my second question is, is this like a driving tour? Give me, can you give me a background? Sure. Yeah. So the Battle of Westport, um, it's referred to as the Gettysburg of the Western Theater. It was kind of the turning point of the Civil War. And so it was fought in different areas all over Kansas City. So it is a driving tour. You start off in the Westport area, and then you wind around south through Kansas City, through the Red Bridge area close to Grandview, and then all the way over to State Line. And then you kind of weave your way back towards the Westport area again to finish things up. Um, So yeah. So is this like an, do you, can you can like hook up your Bluetooth and do an audio tour of this? Or is this just you kind of going to different sites and there's information there to read up on? There's not an audio tour of it yet. I wish there was. Um, If you go to the website, then you can print off the directions for the auto tour. And there's like a little blurb that you read at each stop. And most of the stops have the historical markers. Some of them are missing. I think there were four that we couldn't find when we drove it. But most of them have the historical markers so you can figure out where you're at and then you just follow the the written auto tour. And in your blog, you say, you know, the tour will take a better part of, of the day. Are we talking maybe four to six hours to complete? And, and I guess how far really for someone who's not from Kansas City, about how much mileage are you are you going to do on your car? Oh, gosh, I would say. Hmm. I didn't pay any attention to that. I would guess maybe 30 miles, 30 or 40 miles possibly. Okay. Not a whole lot of miles, um, but it will take you the better part of the day if you're going to read up on everything and get out and look around. Do you know any teachers that travel with their programs? If you do, let them know about the Fall Into Travel webinar series from student travel experts Kaleidoscope Adventures. The Fall Into Travel webinar series highlights five student-friendly destinations and talks about some great things to do with your students in the fall. No matter what time of year you plan on traveling with your program, joining these free webinars will provide you with some great information about student-friendly destinations and give you some insight on how Kaleidoscope Adventures makes planning a student trip easy. The first webinar kicks off this upcoming Monday, May 3rd, at 5 p.m. Eastern. To sign up for the Fall Into Travel webinars, make sure to visit myka8trip.com or give Kaleidoscope Adventures a like on Facebook. These webinars are free and a great resource, so make sure to pass this along to any teachers you know. All right, let's get back to talking about some historical sites around KC with Vanessa. All right, so for number five on your list, it's it's the American Jazz Museum. Now, I think when a lot of people think of jazz, they think of New Orleans, right? Because it's such a big jazz city. But many people don't know that Kansas City has always been a mainstay and, and a stopping point for jazz musicians uh, to actually perform. Um, so it's a major jazz city. Talk to me about the American Jazz Museum. 
So the American Jazz Museum is actually right across the hall from the Negro League Baseball Museum. Uh, you can buy a ticket that actually gets you into both museums together. And the American Jazz Museum just focuses a lot on the history of jazz in Kansas City. So jazz kind of came about and came into its own during the Prohibition era. And Kansas City was one of the leading cities where jazz music had gained popularity. Um, we had people like Louis Armstrong, Billie Holiday, Ella Fitzgerald, um, several of them come through town. Um, a lot of our musicians played with Duke Ellington. Um, so this museum just really focuses on the history of jazz in Kansas City. We have what's called the Jazz District, and it's down at 18th and Vine. And that's where a lot of the jazz halls were during that time period. Um, they have a Walk of Fame that's out in front of the museum. That's pretty cool. It's kind of like the Hollywood Walk of Fame, only it's the Jazz Walk of Fame. So you have different little circles in the concrete with everyone's names engraved into it. Well, let's go on to number six. That's the Alexander Majors House and Barn. Um, I, I honestly don't know anything about this, so I'll let you tell me everything there is to know about Alexander Majors House and Barn. Sure. So Alexander Majors built his house in 1856, and he was one of the founders of the Pony Express. He also was a major freighter or shipper. So he owned a company that shipped a lot of things down the Santa Fe Trail to Santa Fe, New Mexico. And that's kind of how he made his fortune and then eventually lost it. Um, when he purchased his house, interestingly enough, he purchased the property right up to the edge of the United States at the time. So in 1856, when he purchased this property, that state line between Missouri and Kansas, that was the edge of the United States. Like Kansas was just a territory, not a state. So he wanted his property to look out over the frontier and he purchased right up to the state line. Um, I think he had 300 acres of land there. So he was, um, he was a pretty famous guy around here just for his shipping company. And then again, for the Pony Express and so is that house pretty, it's pretty big. It's, it's going to take, you know, up a lot of square footage and it's, it's probably neat to explore, right? I would imagine. It's really cool to explore and they've done a really good job, um, setting up exhibits for the Pony Express and then like Victorian era women, there's an exhibit about their lives and lifestyles in there. The house itself isn't as huge as you might think. It's, it's smaller. It probably only would take you maybe an hour, hour and a half to go through it but it's pretty packed full of information. You included a little fun fact in your blog that I, f I found really neat. Uh, it says in 1848, Alexander Majors made his first trip from Independence, Missouri to Santa Fe, New Mexico with a team of oxen in a record time of 92 days. Is that something he was setting out to do or he just happened to set that record? Do you know? I don't remember if it said that he was trying to beat a record or if that was just happened to be the record. Um, I don't remember. Interesting. Well, I like that you included the fun fact in your blog. That makes it fun. Um, well, number seven, uh, you have one more thing here on the blog. That's the Union Cemetery uh, in Kansas City. Tell me a little bit about the Union Cemetery. How was your experience? Union Cemetery is um, 
has an unusual story. So there was a cholera outbreak and we had Westport and we had Kansas City and they were two completely separate cities. And then after the cholera outbreak, neither one of them had enough room in their cities cemeteries to bury the dead. So they joined together and purchased this land in between the two towns and created Union Cemetery, and that's where they started to bury all of their um, cholera losses. So um, that's kind of how Union Cemetery came about. It was what united Westport and Kansas City, and of course now Westport is just an area in Kansas City. Kansas City's kind of engulfed it. But there's a lot of interesting graves there. Um, Alexander Majors is buried there. Uh, so Thomas Hart Benton is buried there. Uh, there's actually a soldier who is buried there from every war, from the Revolutionary War all the way through to Vietnam. Um, so every, every conflict is represented there. Um, Nathaniel Gwynn is someone who's buried there, and he was the youngest recipient of the Congressional Medal of Honor, and he received his medal after the Civil War. So just a lot of really cool history at that cemetery, and they have a walking tour there that you can do. Um, outside of the Sexton's Cottage, they have brochures that you can pick up. Um, normally, that's the souvenir store, which I think is just odd, but... Yeah, <laughs> and unusual to have a souvenir store to cemetery, but that's what it usually is when it's not COVID times, and they have the brochures inside, but they're outside for now. So, right, yeah, it certainly seems like an both an interesting cemetery from the standpoint of there's maybe things that you won't find at your typical cemetery, um, but also one where you can walk away learning a lot about you know history. And I kind of think as we're talking through this blog. You know, Kansas City is a really a, an area that's loaded with history, more so than I realized before I sat down and, and chatted with you. Um, as someone who loves history and is a teacher of history, um, was this trip kind of, you know, exploring your backyard, was that kind of enlightening and refreshing for you to do to kind of learn more history or, or get refreshed on history in your own city? It really was. And I can't believe that it's taken me this long to do it. Um I just, I get so sidetracked on where I want to go um, that I, you know, I just forget what's right here. And there's so many things that are left to do that once COVID is over, they're on my list of things I'm going to hit. Um, we have a gangster tour. Um, we have all kinds of, of stuff. National Archives has a branch here. We have a money museum. So there's lots to do. Um, but yeah, it was it was enlightening. It was it was really cool because I do love history, and I thought, wow, I really should have done this a lot sooner. <laughs> yeah, it sounds amazing. Well, Vanessa, tell me a little bit more about travel the world history. Um, what can what can listeners out there on the DB podcast, if they're to visit travel the world history, what are they going to find on your website? Well, they're going to find um, trips that I've been on in the past that I've blogged about, and I always try to include the history of the place in the the storytelling of the blog itself. Like that's my thing. When I travel somewhere, I want to know the history of the place. I want to learn about the history of the people. So I love going to like archaeological sites, um, museums, anything historic. So if you follow my blog, you'll see a lot of history. You'll learn a lot of history. 
Um, there's a lot of posts on there around Europe. Um, I've got a few more on there that are more domestic here in the U.S., but not as many. Um, that'll probably change this year. <laughs> but yeah, so you'll you'll get a history lesson and hopefully a little bit of humor. So I love it. It's it's really a great website, and I definitely recommend listeners uh, go out and and check it out. Um, can people actually follow the travel the world history on social media? And and if so, um, what platforms are you on? Oh gosh, I'm on Instagram, Facebook. We have a Facebook group also, um, Twitter, Pinterest. I'm on most of them. Cool. I'm, yeah, LinkedIn, I'm on there for the travel agency. So, yeah. Perfect. Well, Vanessa, one more question before we wrap up the interview here. And this is a question I like to ask my guests that come on the show. The Destinations Beyond Expectations podcast is really the, the podcast that's designed for what I call students of travel, um, people who really you know, learn a lot while they're traveling and take a lot from travel. So I guess my question to you is, would you consider yourself to be a student of travel? And if so, can you maybe share a lesson or two that you've learned through your travel journey? Absolutely. I absolutely consider myself a student of travel. Uh, like I said before, I think that travel is the best, the best classroom, the best educator. You can just learn so much about history and culture from traveling. Um, I think probably the coolest thing that I have experienced, um, my great grandmother came over to the United States from a little bitty town called Villa Doro, Sicily. And so we've done all of our genealogy research and things like that. And in 2016, we actually got to go there. And that was amazing to, you know, see the town where she was born and walk the streets that she walked and see the church where she was baptized and things like that. So that was super cool. Um, and getting to talk to the locals and really get to know what that community was like. Was that your first time traveling abroad or was that just? No, it wasn't my first time abroad. It was just the first time that I'd gone somewhere that I had that very personal connection to, I guess. Yeah. Um, uh, some other places that I've been that that were learning experiences for me. Um, we went to Istanbul, Turkey, and one of the things that we did was we toured the Blue Mosque. And so part of going into the Blue Mosque, we had to make sure our hair was covered and that we had our ankles covered and things like that. So um, it was kind of comical for some of the men that were in our group that had worn shorts that day and did not. I don't know, plan ahead or research, but mm. they had to wrap almost like towels or sheet looking things around their waist to, to hide their legs so they could go in and see the mosque. So I just, it's, it's interesting. You can learn a lot traveling. Yeah. There's so, so many different cultures and, and ways of life and ways of living that people uh, do differently across the world, which I find so fascinating. You know what I mean? Like it's just there's so much more than our own backyard and, and what you did was fantastic. And I recommend anyone, especially right now in COVID, you know, COVID times kind of go and check out their own backyard. Um, but again, also international travel, you can learn so much about different cultures across the world. Well, Vanessa, thank you so much for taking the time to, um, you know, chat with me about your Kansas City adventure. I really enjoy learning. Uh, I really enjoyed learning about all the historical sites to, to see in your town. 
Yeah, thank you for having me on here. A big DBE thank you to Vanessa for coming on the show. Listeners, remember to check the show notes for the link to her blog. And don't forget to follow Travel the World History on social media. Destinations Beyond Expectations is also a great follow on social media. Give the show a follow on Facebook and Instagram, and be sure to explore the official website, dbetravel.com. No matter if you're listening on groupexperience.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or some other audio source, thank you so much for tuning in. We all have at least one friend who loves to travel, right? Why not suggest the DBE podcast to them? There is always space in the classroom for more students of travel. Well, that's all I've got for this week's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a fabulous day, and I will talk to you soon.